Welcome to the Full FX podcast, Currency Matters, in association with One Zero Financial Systems. My name is Colin Lambert. I'm co-founder and publisher of the Full FX. And today I'm delighted to be joined by an old friend, Phil Weisberg, EVP of One Zero Financial Systems. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Colin. I wanted to talk to you, Phil, about um, sort of smarter aggregation generally and building better liquidity pools for clients because I think it's an issue that's becoming a lot more talked about at this moment. You know, there, there are, I guess, initiatives out there, but it's it's really still at the planning stage for a lot of clients. But in terms of like, you know, building a liquidity stream, you know, building smarter aggregation for clients, what are the key metrics that drive the decision-making for the, you know, the smarter router? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And um, I agree with you that this is a topic of interest for many, many clients. So as the industry has become more enlightened um, to what happens under the covers or under the scenes when they're being streamed prices, and as they've evaluated a lot of the uh, excellent research that is available, uh, academic and industry research about aggregation, um, clients often have this question, what do we do? How do we understand what to do? And one of the first things that you have to be able to do to aggregate intelligently is to really have some good underlying data where you can understand, uh, first of all, what are the prices that you're being shown that are going into your aggregator? And also, what are the statistics about the executions that you are getting? Um, and this is of uh, particular importance, whether you're executing with a direct bank or non-bank stream, or whether you're sending orders to a venue. So the characteristics about whether those orders are filled or rejected in conjunction with the stream itself are, are really like step one, having that data accessible. In September, I think it was one zero launched um, additional analytics, which kind of looks at the cost of rejects and, and the impact of last look on liquidity pools. I mean, does this feed into this subject? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a lot of different components, but at its basic level, you know, when you send an order to a particular destination for execution and you don't get filled, um, that could be for a variety of reasons. There could be latency, um, the market may have moved, or the uh, venue or the market maker may be exercising a last look privilege if they have one. Um, it doesn't much matter why it got rejected. You may never know why that order wasn't filled, but nevertheless, you then have to go execute that order somewhere else. So one of the things that you wanna track is after you miss, where is the next price where you're able to get filled? And you'll be able to take into account things like how much did the market move before I found out that I didn't get filled. And it'll take into account all kinds of different factors like was it a large order where it didn't get filled, where the cost of 
uh, a market movement against me may, may be very high. And sometimes, by the way, the cost is negative. Sometimes, you know, you'll get rejected. And by the time you fire again, it'll actually be cheaper to execute the trade. So I think it's important that you have the data um, and you start to see the connection between having the raw data on a stream by stream basis, but also knowing what pool of liquidity was available to you so that after you find out you weren't able to execute, you can make an estimation of where you could be able to execute next time around. And that is a non-trivial calculation to do. And you have to keep in mind, that's also an estimate. But I, I think the estimates can always be improved, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. If you if we go back two years, people weren't even thinking about calculating this stuff. It was just a an, an annoyance or just a, a, a habit of life, wasn't it, for a lot of people? Mm -hmm. So I think a good place to start is to understand, you know, how that cost varies, certainly by currency pair, but there are other um, dimensions to the cost, uh, such as size of the trade, the trading session. Um, you can also go into uh, the cost is likely to be different, very different, whether it's a very boring time or whether it's over, let's say, economic news and the market is moving four, four, four or five times as fast. So I think the important thing is that you get a decent enough sample where that cost uh, can be understood. You can look at it. Um, but the, the, I think the most important thing is it's likely to be non-zero. Another thing that's interesting, I mean, there was a recent paper um, that XTX Markets put out looking at sort of this topic, which included markouts in analysis. I mean, do you think this is becoming a, a bigger factor in your conversations with your clients? Well, part of our analytics suite um, to our customers, we are able to give them the mark out on collections of their trades or on individual trades if they so choose. And I think it is um, important for clients to start to understand what their flow might look like to the destination where they're sending it. Because often that will impact the type of execution that you receive. Um, so, and I, I think for most clients, they find it very difficult. For most of our customers, they find it very difficult to do these calculations on their own. Usually, they get stuck at how do I get the data set. So, one of the one of the things that we tried to do for our clients, if you're using our aggregator, we're recording all of that information for you. So, at the point when you choose that you want to go back and analyze it, you don't really start from square one you have the data set ready to go and available and you can immediately start on the analysis as opposed to having to wait to get a data gathering process in place. Is, is there an education factory involved in this as well? Like when you're talking to some clients, I mean, obviously a lot of your clients will be you know, uber sophisticated with all their own quants, but is there also like an, an educational as, aspect to this where, you know, you, you can, give a client a lot of data, but they've got to be able to actually get to the, the real bones of it, haven't they? Yeah, I think it really depends on who the client is. 
So our clients range from people who just want the data because they have their own quantitative analyst, analysts who want to analyze it their way, but they don't want to waste their time doing the data gathering exercise. So I think that's one extreme. Then we've got folks that are in the middle and they may have selected a third-party vendor to do the analysis for them. And they just want to be able to share the data efficiently with that third-party company. And then there are people who are in the beginning of that and have never seen the data, don't know how to interpret the data. And the nice thing for those guys is we give them a good initial set of information that shows them the markouts. And it's a pretty intuitive user interface. You don't have to be a programmer to use it. It's uh, a dynamic set of reporting that you're able to pick the currency pair, you're able to pick the LP, you're able to look at the time of day, you're able to see the the uh, markout either in dollars per million or absolute amount of markout. So what we've tried to do is just take all of the drudge work out of compiling the data. And uh, the staff at One Zero is happy to take clients through that data. And I think in the long run, they get used to trusting the summary reports. But whenever there's some number that looks a little bit abnormal, you always want the ability to go drill down and figure out, all right, that that piece of data looks like those trades were very disruptive to the market, very expensive. What was really going on there? And then you have the ability to look at exactly what trades there were, how big they were, what time of day they were executed, and how many there were. So you could see whether you have a big enough data sample. The data things, I think, as you say, is key to it. But then I guess the important thing to note here is that it has to be linked to the execution software, doesn't it? Yeah, so you need some mechanism to take the inferences that you get from the data analysis exercise and ultimately incorporate it in your routing decisions. Um, and for, for you to be able to do that, you need aggregation where you're able to do things such as pre-aggregation, modify the prices to include the expected costs of execution. Um, this isn't a novel idea. The industry already is used to modeling things like clearing fees and brokerage, right? Because a lot of times you have to decide, is it worth it? Is the price improvement big enough for me to execute away from my prime broker? Is the price improvement big enough for me to pay the um, the tariff on whatever uh, ECN I'm sending it to? So you could think of the cost of reject like one of those type of fees, right? The important thing is it needs to be in the pre-aggregate. Well, there's, there's really two ways to do it. You can either hard code it in the pre-aggregation price or you can leave it as a criteria for who to include in your liquidity pool. So that customers do it both ways. Um, the, the important thing is 
you need to a system that's flexible enough to either include those costs pre-aggregation or to create different, we call them maker pools that are purpose-built for the type of flow that you're routing to the maker pool. And keep in mind, you may have a different cost of reject on a full amount pool where the liquidity providers know if you're routing them in order, you're not piecing it out to four other LPs at the same time. Those pools have different characteristics than sweepable pools. And, and it's, I mean, the characteristics is an interesting one as well, isn't it? Because it strikes me, I mean, how do you ensure that the liquidity pool that you're providing the client based upon the data analytics um, actually remains ideal for their purposes? Because, you know, conditions change, don't they? And LP's behavior change to a degree. Yeah, I think this is like uh, sports or elections um, or financial markets in general. Uh, just because you look at the data today doesn't mean the data is going to be the same a week or a month from now. So the type of factors that influence changes in the characteristics, number one, how your flow is perceived can change. It can change either because your flow changes or because the liquidity provider has a different strategy or a different way to categorize your flow or because their flow changes, right? Yeah. Can change because of market conditions, can also change because maybe the composition of the liquidity pool changed. So, you know, one could think how I as an LP might respond to a pool that's created where if all other things were equal, I would get a third of the business that may be a lot more interesting than participating in a pool where I might get one twentieth of the business, right? Oftentimes an LP will work and, you know, remember it's work for the LP too. They have to do the optimization on their side. So if you're sending them enough flow that it's worth them spending their energy optimizing it, um, it, it matters to them. And I think the, the key is really you have to create a feedback loop where it's so easy to get this data that there's a regular review process. I don't know whether it makes sense to review it every day, but you could if you wanted to. I think it's impossible to look on a trade-by-trade -trade basis, but you could if you wanted to. But most clients will do some kind of periodic review so that they're sure that they have a big enough data sample. And that will either be on a one-week basis or a one-month basis. I think it's, as always, with these types of things, it's it's relatively new to quite a few people. So I guess we evolve how we sort of use this data analytics, don't we? Yeah, I think initially people just want to look at the data. Then they use the data to start making high-level decisions about the pool construction you know, so for us, one of the interesting questions that we often ask our clients, how are you figuring out whether you want to assemble your liquidity with sweepable pools or full amount pools? And the answer might depend on which segment of clients you're going to route to those pools. So we, we help our clients segment their customer base. And you might find that 
certain customer bases really do a lot better on a full amount pool than they might do on a sweepable pool. And of, of course, the other innovation that we've got in our aggregator is the ability for our customers to really segment the pools for hedging from the pools they use for pricing, which enables LPs to put what are called skew safe feeds in the aggregator because they're confident that there won't be information leakage if our customer happens to be a broker who's then reflecting that price back into the marketplace. And that, I think, has become more important because I think LPs are very much more aware of how their liquidity is downstreamed. Yeah, well, it's going to affect their performance. Yeah, and, and it's their IP. Yeah, if they're sending you, if they're sending an ax to a customer of a one zeros, they absolutely can understand with the customer whether that is to be used for hedging or to be part of their pricing function. And at least in one zeros aggregator, I can't speak for others. Um, we're really an aggregator and an e-commerce system. And those are two different functions, right? One function creates the underlying liquidity. The other one transforms the liquidity into prices that are shown to uh, downstream clients or internal clients. And at one zero, uh, our institutional hub customers have the ability to basically completely separate those activities. Which I think you know, is going to help going forward. And, and I think it's, it's interesting. Sometimes you look at this and think, oh, this is actually still early days for you know, aggregation and whatever, but it's not. This is actually just the latest evolution, isn't it? Yeah, I think these, these concepts were always in the high-end aggregators. Right. And often the high end aggregators were the e commerce systems of the largest market makers. I think the difference is that through a lot of investment by the vendor community, we've lowered the price point by which these things can be accessible to smaller banks, medium sized banks, to asset managers, and to uh, basically agency desks. So it really, really opened up um, the pool of customers who were able to benefit from this technology. Which I think is, you know, I think something we all sort of aim for, isn't it? Is that sort of fairer, more democratic market access for these things. It's a positive step forward, without a doubt. Phil, as always, great to talk to you and thank you very much for your time. I do suspect this is a subject we'll come back to again and again. But it was great talking to you. And um, to our listeners, thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back again soon. Phil, go well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Today's edition of the Full Effects podcast was brought to you in association with One Zero Financial Systems. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can download previous episodes, register for our newsletter, view our upcoming events, and much more at thefulleffects.com.